Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, an international menopause expert, author, and speaker. I help women go from feeling uncertain, uncomfortable, and struggling to experiencing a new sense of confidence, freedom, and vitality. My own story mirrors that of thousands of women that I have connected with through writing my book, speaking engagements, and coaching. Like you, I felt unprepared, unsupported, and at times dismissed by family, employers, and even doctors. That's why I created this podcast as a place of advocacy, offering facts, resources, and a community where you can become more empowered to take control of your menopause journey. Join us each week as we dive into honest, open, raw conversations on the topics that matter deeply to menopausal midlife women. From our changing bodies to our relationships, to dealing with menopause and aging at work and in society. My mission is to help you to tap into our collective wisdom so you can emerge more powerful, wiser, not just older, thriving and ready to embrace wholeheartedly the next chapter in your life. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, and today we're going to be talking about something that is super close to my heart, and that is all about how we get to the top. We are smart women, but we're often not making it to the top positions, to those C-suite and board level positions. And so today I have a special guest who I know is deeply passionate about this. Welcome to the show, Helen Robinette. Thank you, Clarissa. Great to be here. I'm delighted to have you here. You and I know each other through mutual connections and LinkedIn. But for my listeners, tell me more about you and how you came to be working with executive presence and reputation. Oh, what a great question. It was an accident, actually, Clarissa. I I fell into this and I um, was working in a business development role with a trustee company and I was watching really good people, men and women, be overlooked for promotion. And I thought, what the hell's going on here? Really smart people and just not making the cut. And there was this one guy who was, you know, that, you know, chatting in the tea room and his tie was a bit skewed and he had a bit of success around his middle, you know, and his eyebrows were coming down over his eyes. And he, and he was constantly blaming the organization. And I said, you know, I reckon it's you. He said, oh, yeah, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, I think if you sharpened yourself up a little bit, you know, that that would make a difference. And he said, oh, well, go ahead. And I said, I think there's people out there who could help you. And I, um, you know, got on and did a bit of research and I found this organisation that trained image consultants. And I said, oh, you can help my friend. And they said, oh, you can sign up and do the 12-month program and you can help him yourself. And I said, well, like hell, I'm not doing that. Guess what I did, Clarissa? I bloody signed up and did the program. <laughs> and and then I started to play with it. And it was really interesting for me, the the impact that the visual had on success in life and in business because the the shift it had with this guy was that within a 12-month period he had resigned, gone to work overseas, earning four times the amount of money he was earning before and married this gorgeous woman. He'd not been in uh, successful relationships before. So 
it really made a shift for him. And I went, you know, there's something here. There is something here when you look at our own professional image and our executive presence and how we use power. There's something in this and I was fascinated by it. So within the same month, I resigned from the corporate world, started a business and I got married for the second time. I'm now on number three and I'm sticking with this one. I'm not shifting. I'm keeping this one. Here's a call card. <laughs> same as me. We're the same there. We've yes. said that before. We're on number three and we're keeping them. <laughs> Aren't we clever? We're really yeah. clever. Yeah. So, you know, like I, I just really, and I, I started to get really passionate about, and I was working with both men and women. And then I went, oh, stuff this. You know, there's really something powerful about this work with women. That's how it started. And I've been at it for 20 years and I've really refined it down and COVID gave me a beautiful gift this year. I know COVID's been a really difficult time for some people, but it was great for me because the Australian government provided us with JobKeeper and that gave me some time to go within and think, well, what am I doing? What are you doing, Helen? What are you really passionate about? And I've got to look at What's really cheesing me off and what am I angry about? And I'm angry at the fact that there aren't enough women at that senior influential role on boards in the C-suite. I thought, what's going on? Why are they leaving or why are they not getting there? So I spent some months doing research and found out the answer. And I then developed a framework, a a nine-module framework where I help women to get a seat on the board because I just looked at what the issues are, what's missing, and and I've I've gone about putting a process in place to make a difference there. And the response has overwhelmed me, and I'm I'm getting quite busy. So I know that there's a need for it, and it's it's working. It's actually working. That's so wonderful because when we actually look at the figures and I was almost, you know, serendipitously this week working with a, an organization that is helping women in particularly in places like India to make it onto the board and seeing the same kind of issues come up about culture, about getting there. And I mean, only 5% of women in those top uh, Fortune 500 companies are CEOs. And although, you know, it's amazing that 45% of the workforce is female, but only 21% of the total C-suite is female. And then above that, it's just like a desert, really. And it's lots of things that are standing in our way. But we need at this time so much more help because I think, I don't know, you all will ask you, I mean, what you think COVID has done, but the women in the workforce report is is quite shocking of how women leaders are struggling right now. Oh, it, it is terrible. And I, I know from personal experience, friends and colleagues of mine who've been homeschooling children during COVID, managing elderly parents and trying to get their work done at the same time. It is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And they're exhausted. They're exhausted to the point of, of burnout. And, you know, my research showed me, Clarissa, that women are not broken. There's nothing wrong with us. The system is broken for sure, but there are some key things that men do that women don't. And there is a gap there. You know, there are some things that that really do make a difference. And 
I was just listening to, I have to be honest, I only listened twice to our state premier's press release. He did a daily press release reporting on the numbers of COVID and what's going on and just listening to the male reporters shouting over the top of the female reporters and and the, the women being silenced and only more recently our Prime Minister in Australia uh, speaking over one of the, the ministers, a female minister, you know, just speaking over the top of her. And this happens, this happens. And what women do is we just go silent because if we speak up, then we're seen as being aggressive and bitchy. And, there, you know, there, there are some ways to really handle that. And I thought, wow, and I just got really annoyed with the outcome of the research. You know, I just, I just found the whole thing really quite fascinating. And, and the other thing also is that once you get into those top echelons, and Julia Gillard speaks about this book, this in her book that um, she and Ngozi wrote on women in leadership about, you know, the unconscious bias and what goes on there. And, and she said she was not, during her time as Prime Minister, she was not present to how potent that really is. And, and if she is. had her time over again, she would call it out and she didn't. And she wished that on day one of her becoming Prime Minister that she said to the Canberra Press Gallery, come on, guys, are we really going to talk about the colour of my jacket? She wishes that she had called it out because no one would say that to a male Prime Minister. But it was said to her and oh, yes. it's not okay. It is not okay. No, it's not okay. And it happens all the time. And as you said that about women being shouted over, I have this flashback of sitting and I obviously I lived in Australia. I worked in a big Australian business and I can remember male colleagues, we were senior leaders, just talking over the top of me. And I did actually have a boss who said, hang on a minute, she's got something to say here. And that just the volume, it isn't just that they're speaking, it's the volume. And they do that almost, they do it unconsciously. And then we don't push back and go, hang on a minute, I haven't finished speaking. We kind of withdraw, mm. even though we're incredibly competent women. Yes, yes. And it comes down to confidence. I mean, this happened with uh, Kamala Harris and the, um, and the vice president. She said, excuse me. Mr. Vice President, I am speaking. And it was a landmark moment for women in the world. You know, I am speaking. It was just beautiful. Yep. And I thought, yeah, let's replay that again and again and again because she didn't shout it. She kept the tone of her voice low. She was credible and she let him know. She held her power base really strongly. And it was a great example of she modelled for us what works. Yes, and it actually worked. Yes, and it's this calm, isn't it? Women tend to elevate yeah. their voices when we get stressed and anxious. Mm. And that that happened. We can hear it. I mean, if you sit and listen, women's voices. Julia Gillard used to do that. She used to get quite louder and louder. Louder and louder, yes. more strident. I mean, I, I was in Australia living there when she was prime minister, and I thought she was a fantastic yeah. woman. But she get quite yeah. screechy, which then, of course, reinforces all this unconscious bias that we are a little bit neurotic, we're emotional, 
Um, and we're just wanting to be heard. Mm. Most human beings just want to be heard. That's very We true. do. It's, it's not difficult. It's not a difficult thing. But it's not okay for the guys to take our ideas and make them their own or speak over the top of us. You know, it's, it's actually not okay. And, and we're, because of the imbalance in power, we're anxious about how do we call that out? Oh, I'm better to say nothing. I can't, I don't have a voice here. I don't have a right. I'm relying on this guy to promote me. So I'd best shut up. And that's what happens. Yeah, it is what happens. And I think I'd love to ask you, I mean, what happens when you're the only woman? Because that is something that has been increasingly spoken about by organizations like Lean In and McKinsey, that not the women that make it often end up as the only woman in these situations. And and how do women handle it, Helen, if we are the only woman in that C-suite or board? Well, what my research has, has shown me is that often these women will take on masculine traits to survive because being a woman and bringing the feminine forward is, is seen as not okay. You, you've got to survive. So if you look at those big organisations, the big corporates and the political landscape, it's very patriarchal and in order to survive there, what they do is they take on the masculine ways of being. So there's the, the physical is the wearing of the power suit and the, the strength of the, you know, the bob, the haircut that's the bob. So there's no long flowing hair. There's no lace, no prints, no patterns. It's all plain blocks because that's how the blokes dress. You don't see a man wearing a printed paisley shirt. So women in those senior levels will keep to really plain whether it's them or not. And my argument is how do we work to just bring all of who you are to the table? And if you are the long flowing hair, I want you to rock that the way Erin Brockovich rocked her look. And that famous line where she said, their boobs, Ed, their boobs, when he was looking at her cleavage. You know, she owned her fitted clothing and she wore it. That was part of her brand style. That was her signature brand. She owned that. And did she get the result? Hell yes. You know, she's, she's a passionate mother who cares about her community and she was not going to be branded by the way she dressed or how low cut her tops were. And I'm not suggesting for a moment that you need to go and do an Erin Brockovich because it's about who are you as a woman? Let's work with that instead of fighting with nature for God's sake. And if it is you to have long red fingernails and long blonde hair, let's work with that. Honestly, let's work with it. And at the same time, respecting the board that you're on and the stakeholders and the organisation, sure, take that into account. For God's sake, don't do a complete 360 and change yourself to fit in because if it's not right for you, what the hell are you doing there? You know, I remember doing some work with a, a uni a few years back and a young woman with a headscarf said to me, well, 
what do I do? This is part of my religion. How do I, how do I make that work? Do I have to wear makeup? Should I have to take off my headscarf to work in one of these corporate organizations? And I said, Hey, why would you want to work for someone who didn't respect your values and the things you value most in your life? And she looked at me and smiled and the audience started to applaud. You know, like she got it. I said, why would you sell your soul to that organization? You deserve better. And there's someone out there who needs you for your unique skill set and will appreciate and value who you are as an individual and your faith. Oh, my goodness. Exactly. And you are so right how very quickly we become a kind of sea of grey and then don't know what we should be wearing. We we kind of get lost and, and so many women end up, don't we, with black pants, white shirt, some kind of blazer, pearl earrings. I hate pearl earrings. I like bright long dangly ones. <laughs> and, and and I'm like like and I was used to wear really chunky jewellery and people would kind of look because I thought, well I like this, so I don't care. Yeah. You know. But it's very hard. And if I look across all the corporations I've worked in brilliant women I've worked with. You're so right. We've adopted this kind of masculine. There were even shops for a long time that sold that suited look <sighs> and, and and made a big lot of money. I mean, we're talking about big companies like Next and Austin Re, all these big, powerful clothing companies almost reinforced that when you were at a certain level or in a certain profession, you bought these clothing and that's what you look. Well, that's part of wearing the uniform, Clarissa. It's like that's this is your this is the the brand, this is the uniform, and here's the look. So when you get into a corporate role, here you go, lady. You dress like that. So then, all of a sudden, this woman who's got the senior role, she's managing a team, she's juggling a family, her parents are aging, she's got to get the kids to daycare, and she's organising everything. The last thing she's got time to think about is what she's wearing for God's sake or who the hell she is as an individual and what she loves to wear. And this is the thing I've spent 20 years styling professional women and they don't know how to play. And I bring things out onto the bed and I say, here, let's have a play with this. And they look at me like I'm an alien. And they say, well, what do you mean? I say, well, what do you love? What feels great for you? What do you mean, Helen? I don't get it. They they have not given themselves permission to play. And then I start throwing combinations together based on what their style direction is. They go, oh, wow, that, that's great. I would never have thought of that. Oh, I could wear that, couldn't I? And they're looking for permission because they've been told, you wear this. You wear that black suit, you wear that white shirt, oh, and a black pump, and that's it. Exactly. And you carry a black tote bag, and then you're done. Little pair of gold earrings or a little pair of pearls, there you go. Pop a little bit of lipstick on, and off you go. Go to work. Go and earn the big bucks. That's what they're told. So they actually don't, they don't know. (laughs) So what really happens is you're working with them really to create a signature brand, aren't you? Yes, you. And yes. what does, why does that matter? 
because it distinguishes you from everybody else. It's the thing that makes you different and you just hit the nail on the head when you said, I like chunky jewellery and long dangly earrings. Now, that's you. That's actually you and I, I would expect to see you wearing that because that's a natural fit for you. Now, like I, I have the, my signature brand is I use colour and I love red. I use a red pen. I have red branding. I have red clothing. I love to do things red because it's my favourite colour. The cover on my iPhone is red. Journals that I give my clients in my boot camp are red leather. You know, red's a thing. There's great colour psychology around red. There's energy there and it works. It works and it just, I feel at home, I'm comfortable with that and it just makes me feel good. So when people see me doing the red thing, they go, oh, yeah, that's Helen. That's that's where she's at. And if you think about people like Michelle Obama, she was the first one to really nail the sleeveless dress and she really struggled with that. It was like, oh, my God, first lady, I'm wearing, I'm doing sleeveless dress. But, you know, I've got great arms. Why can't I? And she nailed it and she became known for that. She was known for the sleeveless frock you know and she, she still does it she looks great yes. in it so why shouldn't she, she do does. it i love i exactly. love the way she looks and i think Absolutely. sometimes we're a bit yeah. afraid aren't we of doing this because we think well what if someone says something um, yeah. what if what if we get picked out for this and then we retreat some of that's just about our inner confidence isn't it absolutely absolutely and it's it's having the courage to stand out and really be who you are. And, you know, you'll be familiar with here in Australia, um, Natasha Stop Despoia. I don't know how long you were in Australia for, Clarissa, but she was famous. The, the senator was famous for wearing Doc Martens boots. She wore Doc Martens shoes and boots to Parliament. She didn't wear the high heel. She had these bloody lace-up boots on and she became, it was a signature brand for her. She became famous for that. She did. She became really famous yeah. for those sort of things. And I think we should do that. And I love that, that there's some great examples here of signature mm. brands and how everyday women, any woman can build a brand that's for her. But I think particularly when we want to stand out in more senior positions in this sea of black and grey, people yeah. remember you, don't they? They do. They do. And it makes you memorable. You know, Ruth, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, lace collars. Julia Gillard only wore Australian designers. I think she probably still does. You know, like that was important to her as Prime Minister to support Australian fashion designers and she became known for that. You know, uh, Jacinda Ardern discovered that she got a better reception online on social media wearing her hair down. Isn't that She was more likeable wearing her hair down. Now, she's a woman on the move with a young child. So, you know, she, I heard her speak about, oh, it was just easier for me to just tie it up in a ponytail and that was just easier. But 
she became conscious of the fact that it served her better to wear her hair down on camera. How fantastic. It is just amazing. That's what she did. You know, so like we've all got our thing and everyone's really different. If you look at Steve Jobs, jeans and the black polo, kind of like a uniform, but that was a brand for him. That simplicity, just really simple. So for some women it'll be I only wear real jewellery. I don't wear costume jewellery. I only wear the real stuff. And they become known for that, become known. Some women will wear five, six-inch stilettos and that's their thing. They get known. I remember working in financial services with a woman who always wore the most amazingly high heels and she would run around in those shoes like she just owned the place. It was effortless (laughs) for her and we all knew we were like, well, What's she wearing today on her feet? Because it was the amazing fabulousness of what's going on with her feet. And she owned it confidently and she rocked that. So it's, and it's about just finding who are you? Let's pull that apart and make that work for you. It could be a really edgy haircut that serves you. Some women go short, spiky, gray, and that's their signature brand. That's who they are and they become known for that or um, shave it off and have a bald head and that's who they are. And whatever it is, we don't make it wrong. We say, great, let's make this a thing for you. Let's get it out there. Let's show you doing this confidently so that you own it because confidence is a big thing. It's a big thing here. makes a big difference. It's a massive theme, isn't it? And I think a lot of women lack confidence at that last critical point. And I work with this women's leadership group and I was quite quite sad and in shock that it was a woman and she'd set up 15 Amazon distribution centers across India. She's, she's no weak-willed woman. But then when she got to a job interview, she just faded away and didn't make it to that next big role. And it was all about her confidence, her own in a conversation and absolutely nothing to do with her skills, her actual competency. She had it all and it that last bit she just didn't nail it, which is an incredible waste and a loss for that organization. But you're so right, Helen, this happens so often that women don't have that final piece of confidence to mm. step into the limelight. Oh, Clarissa, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard that, and I I spoke to one of Melbourne's senior brilliant recruiters, and I said to her, you know, tell me, Karen, what's going on here? What is it? And she said, oh, it's really easy, Helen. She said, a a man will have two out of ten of the criteria, and he'll say, yep, in the bag, going for it. A woman will have eight out of ten, and I said, don't say it, and she said, and she'll say she hasn't got it all. And I went, oh, oh. And she said, and I have seen that for years and years and years. And this is what we do. We shortchange ourselves. And, you know, with the board role, here's the interesting thing. What happens when when a woman is on the kinder committee, the parent teacher, the school board, all of that stuff? 
what's the difference between the governance there and the governance in a paid board? She's backed up by others, probably more than anything else, and she's confident there because yeah. she's surrounded by people who are probably like her and a little bit gentler or willing to accept her. You step into some boards and they're pretty aggressive yeah. males. They are, but you know what? It's the same skill set. It's exactly the same skill set. So who sits on kinder and school boards? Generally, it's women. Who sits on the, the big corporate boards? Generally, it's men. Women have actually got the experience. There's very little difference. There's no difference in skill set. I'm going to call it. There's no bloody difference. So if, if you've been on a kinder committee or a school board or a not-for-profit, you're ready for the other stuff. You've got the experience. Here's the other thing. Women who, who know how to manage, a, you know, a two-year-old, particularly mothers with toddlers, have learned the art of negotiation and influence. These are skills for board roles. We actually have everything we need and we don't realise it. You know, and, and when I learned that, that made me mad, just made me mad. Well, I think those are the other things is that those kinds of skills get undervalued. They're in the yes. wider society, that they don't see that the things that we as women are doing every day, as you said, managing and negotiating family <laughs> dynamics, which requires immense diplomacy if we're not going to have a meltdown. And mm -hmm. we also are always, as women, active. We've either been on the committee of the place you live or you've been on some, as you're right, we've all been at some stage probably involved in a PTA running some project, and we do it wonderfully. But yes. we don't make, we ourselves as women don't make that mental leap. And, and men or the wider world, even recruiters sometimes don't value that experience. Yeah. So yeah. what can and, women and it do? Is it, what can they do? Well, and, and this is, this, there's some other things, you know, like nailing your, understanding your style direction and nailing your signature brand so that you do stand out is one of the things. I mean, there's there's so many that we're not going to have time to cover on this podcast, but like the signature brand is one thing. So understanding what is it that you're really comfortable in and then just going, okay, right, I'm going to own this about me and be okay with the fact that it's going to be a little bit different. People will be confronted and they will be shocked. Good luck to them. You just got to own it and move forward with it, you know, forge ahead and just do it. And then the other thing is understanding your circle of influence and men are really good at, at managing this stuff. Women, not so, you know, and, and just making sure that you've got people to advocate for you makes a big difference as well. So do you want me to go through the circle of I influence? Would love, that be I was going to ask you. It would be really good because I'm sure – some of my listeners don't know what a circle of influences is and how we actually go about cultivating it. Um, you know, I yeah, think it would be great. so valuable, Helen. Thank you. Yeah, fantastic. So here's where you just draw a circle on a piece of paper, divide it into eight, and then just write down the key eight people that you spend the most time with. So it may be family, friends, work whatever, 
write them down and then have a look. Who is helping you to get to where you want to go? Like, are they? Like, identify those people in your inner circle. Are they helping you to get to where you want to go? And if not, and here's where it starts to hurt, if not, why not? Why aren't they helping you? Why is that friend you go walking with who knows people on boards, why is she not helping you? What's going on there? And then my suggestion is if they're not helping you, they need to be out of that inner circle. You've actually got to move them out and identify eight to ten people who are influential and can help you. Now, men do this naturally. Women don't. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sitting here as the mother of a son and I'm gobsmacked at 23. He's just turned 23. His circle of influence. I'm just like, are you kidding me? You know, Mm. he's got this person and that person and he asks this person and he gets advice from this person. He just landed a part-time role with the World Health Global Director, Anders Nordström, through somebody he knew. And I'm, yeah. I'm like, pardon, you know, at 23 as a woman, and I bet there's older women who wouldn't know how to get themselves into that space. But just exactly. through connections, they do it. And I don't even, th- he said, how did that happen? I said, well, it happens because you nurture your inner circle. And yeah. you're always out there speaking about what you're doing. You share your passion in a very yes. clear way. And I think women, we hide our lights, don't we? And we don't connect mm-hmm. with these people. And maybe I don't know, Helen, what do you think about women's networking style and building circles of influence in all of this? Yeah, and and for, for women who are introverts, they won't want to go out and do that face-to-face networking, not that that's happening during COVID anyway, but the introverts are, are brilliant at networking on LinkedIn. They they have mastered that and got that down to a fine art. They're really very clever. And there are things that we can do that really make a big difference, you know, like just being aware of making sure that your LinkedIn profile speaks to who you are and where you want to be. And, you know, part of the the, the modules that I've got, it's, it's about how do you articulate your statement for where you want to be. You know, like my, my name's Helen Robinette and I help women to get a seat on a board and I'm looking in the next 12 months to be in two to three paid board roles. So like that's how you introduce yourself and say this is what I want because once you put that out there, people go, oh. And the funny thing about human beings is that most of us want to be of contribution and we want to make a difference. So we'll go looking automatically to how can I be of service? How can I support you? I had a conversation with a guy this morning and I, I said to him, he booked in a strategy call and I said, look, you know, I, I don't work with men. I actually don't. <laughs> and he said, I don't care. I, I want to talk to you. I thought, oh, what the hell? I'll, I'll talk to this guy. We had the best conversation and he's doing all this work with helping men to find their voice and, um, you know, the struggle with men in that 30 to 60 age bracket. And I said, you know, I know someone who can help you with that. Here's here's a, a couple of people you need to speak to and I just connected him. 
So you, you never know what's going to come. But even though I, I'm not interested to work with this guy at all because my, I'm very clear that I work with women and that's it. And I'm very happy to turn men away. I'm not interested. They can go, I'll refer them, they can go somewhere else. But, you know, like I'm, I'm also very aware that there are good men who can help women to get to where they need to be. So there should be good men in that circle of influence who will help you, you know, because the, the other thing is, and it's then having the confidence and the courage to remove some of those people who are not serving you, remove them out, Clarissa. They've got to go out of your circle of influence because there is no space there for them. And we look at why do you want a board role? Why do you want a C-suite CEO role? What is it? What is the difference that you want to make in this world? What, what is the legacy that you want to leave? What are you wanting to model to your girls, to your, your young boys? What is it? What is it? And we get clear on that. And then we go, okay, now we know exactly what it is that we need to do. You need to be connecting with people in this area and here and here and here. And this is what's going to be important for you. So we have a strategy on LinkedIn about how you do that. And then I'll ask them strategic questions around who do you know? Who do you know here? Let's start building relationships there. And you make it clear as to what you want. And it's very strategic. This is uncomfortable for some women because they don't feel they have a place and a voice. And I say, you have too much, you are too expert in this area. You have too much experience. How dare you hide your light? You have no business doing that. You've come to me and told me that you want to do this. So get off the fence. Get off the fence. You need to go one side or the other. You sit on that fence too long, you'll get splinters in your butt. It's an uncomfortable place to be. You need to move and it's going to be, it's not going to be easy. It's not easy. If it were that easy, Clarissa, everyone would do it. You know, childbirth is hard. Yes. Menopause can be hard. You know, yes. come on, do the work, do the work. If you really want it, you've got to get uncomfortable and do the work. You know, I remember a girlfriend of mine was started going through labour with her, her daughter who's now 14 and she said she got into the hospital and she said, oh, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this today. I'll come back tomorrow. And they went, oh, you're doing it tonight. You're so doing it tonight. And yeah. she said, I don't want to. You know, like once we start, that's it. That is it. That's a and great once a woman realises what she's got within, there's no stopping her. Because if you look at what we deal with and manage as women, there's no stopping us. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And there are good men out there, Clarissa. There are really good men who will advocate on, on our behalf and will be fantastic. I mean, you know, that's, that's the other thing. The other point is that we need to have great brand advocates we need to have people who will speak for our expertise who will say oh yes well you know if you if you want to know anything around transitioning through menopause you need to talk to Clarissa because she's the one in that space and to have other people speak about you like that it's far more powerful than you doing it yourself you know and in in Australia we have you know 
if you think about who's who's the one who specialises in working with rural women and teams, it's Marie McPherson. There's nowhere yes. else to go. She's the one, you know. She is. And then gender diversity. Michelle Redfern, you just don't go any further. You don't want to talk about gender diversity. Well, that she's the one. She's just she's just where you go for that. So, you know, to have others advocate on your behalf is a beautiful thing. And this is about do your work, do it well, stay in your lane, stay focused, don't deviate, just stay firm with with what you're doing and just Hold the line, hold the line, hold the line, and you will become known and continue to do a good job. Be open and talk to people. I just will connect and network with anyone on LinkedIn because I'm curious. I'm curious about people. And even though I don't work with men, I spoke to that guy this morning and we had a wonderful conversation. We have so much in common. And I was able to refer him to a few people. He now is very clear on what I do. And he said, you know, if I hear of women who want to get on a board or get a C-suite role, I'm sending them to you because I'm really clear on what you do now. And this was just, it was a 45-minute conversation. And we just, we laughed and we talked about Billy Conley because he's Scottish and we had this wonderful conversation and it was just really beautiful. But it's about being open. You know, some people on LinkedIn say, oh, no, I'm not. No, no, I, I don't want to connect with you. Are you trying to sell me your stuff? I go, no, actually, <laughs> very strategic <laughs> with, you know, yeah. with where I'm at with that stuff. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I have an attraction strategy, I'm not out there pushing anything. If you're attracted to my content and to what I do, great, then I want to engage with you. Otherwise, I'm not interested. Exactly. And I think what you've said there are some really powerful points. I mean, obviously, I think everybody knows we have to do the work. But this thing about letting men in was is for me such a fundamental point that you brought up here. Because I think when things don't go right, Women often gravitate to women-only spaces, and mm-hmm. we won't necessarily get into those influential circles, get those recommendations if that's our only network. And I know there are people who advocate that sort of thing, who push that, oh, yeah, be only in women's groups, and we are missing out on the power of men. And there are men I know out there who want to help you. So we need yes. to be having those conversations, bringing those people into our circle of influence and, and yes. really growing them. And I know that because I've experienced that too, Helen, on, on LinkedIn and beyond that men are amazing. I don't work with men either. So I'm like you. I'm like, no, I don't, but I am yeah. always open to that conversation to those men oh, coming into my space to help me. And I think when we do that, we grow. And actually, we we see different perspectives too, which are very, oh. very important for us because I yes. think that we get locked in this feminine power empowerment thing, which is very important, but it can be very skewed to a particular way of thinking, which isn't how the world works. No, it's not how the world works. It's like having 
only male education or only female education. The world works with men and women and we need to work together. You know, and there, there are some great men who sponsor women into senior roles. They, they stand for them. They speak for them. They help them and guide them. And it's a wonderful thing. And some women say, we shouldn't need men to do that. I think, well, bloody hell, you know, like, how do you raise a child? You know, like I was a sole parent from the time my daughter was two. And without the great influence of my father and my brother and uncles and other good men in my life, I would have been completely stuffed. I would have been all at sea because it, it, it takes a village of good men and women to raise a child and it takes a you know both sexes around a board table to come to great decisions really great decisions women see things differently to men we have a different view if there were more women on the AMP board <laughs> the whole stuff around sexual harassment would have been a different conversation Yes. And these these men are so good at protecting each other. They're just in protection mode. You know, like, oh, nothing to see here. A, a little bit like the Catholic Church. You know, let's pretend <laughs> nothing's happening. Uh, no, move along, move along, nothing to see here. Let's just close our eyes. Well, where you have too many men in power, it's dangerous, but together we make great decisions really great decisions we definitely and, do. and there there are fabulous men out there who are willing to be part of this and i'm targeting those men i'm targeting them because we need them we need them and i'm i'm watching good men on linkedin i'm watching what they're posting what they're liking and i'm targeting them and connecting with them because of you know, I'm I'm, um, I'm going to do some some interesting things next year. But we need to have them involved. We don't want to exclude them. So I'm I'm very anti the all women thing because it doesn't work. You know, did this gender diversity involves both male and female? It does, and it's and doing it the right way. Both. It's doing it the right yes. way, Helen. And even in my space, and I say this to my listeners. If we don't engage men around menopause, they don't need to know all the gritty ins and outs. We won't yeah. make progress in places like the workplace because yeah. they are in the leadership positions. They don't need to know about your ins and outs of your physiology, but they need to understand and understand how to act decisively, compassionately to make changes. But if we don't engage them in the right way in this conversation, it gets brushed yeah. aside as women's business. And we feel left frustrated. Yes. Yes. And we, we need to have them helping to drive the change and just hold the line and maintain the focus with us. We really do need them. They, they are crucial. They really are crucial. You know, I, I spoke to a guy who's, um, with the CEO Institute in, in Melbourne. And, and he said, you know, look, I, we, we work with CEOs here with a million dollars turnover or more. And most of them are men. He said, very few women, very few. And, and I went, you know, I thought, well, 
why is that so? Why is that so? And he said to me, you know, Helen, I've, I've worked in this, this area for a long time and what I can tell you is that, he said, and I am generalising here, but most blokes will join a board for their CV because it looks good. And and even in some of the, the, the big four organisations, part of their KPIs for senior partners are that they have to be on a not-for-profit board. So they're not joining because they want to make a difference. They're joining because it's part of their bloody KPIs oh, and their bonus structure. And then he said, but I can tell you from experience that a woman will join a board because she wants to make a difference. She wants to have an impact and she wants to contribute. And I heard that and I felt like, duh, of course, but it, it landed in a very impactful way for me. And I thought, this is actually not okay. I'm not okay with this. And I, I have personal experience of being on boards where where men joined only because they had to. And And I remember as chair of that board, raising the conversation about why are you here? What is it that's drawn you to become director on this board? And they went absolutely ballistic because I was calling them on it and it was it was really confronting for them. Mm, I can understand yeah. that. Wow. It's, it's really, really interesting. But, you know, women want to join boards for the right reasons. That's why you're here, Helen, to help women That's to it. do that. <laughs> yes, yes, I love it. Yes, you're here to do that. <laughs> Helen, we have had a wonderful conversation and we could talk about this all day, I think, because we are passionate <laughs> about advancing women. But yes. I'd like to thank you. And I'd like to say, if people want to get hold of you, how can they connect with you and work that you do? Well, LinkedIn is a great place to find me and uh, and my website is there on LinkedIn as well, which is just helenrobinette.com. But, yeah, LinkedIn is a great place to find me. I'm always there Monday to Friday, every day. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I'm really happy to connect and have conversations with any of your listeners. Helen, thank you so much for giving your time and sharing your passion, your wisdom, and some really vital points for women to take on board around their style, around their circle of influence, and the importance of brand advocates. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you, Clarissa. Thank you for listening. If you have loved or liked this episode, then I would be deeply grateful if you would head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. My mission is to reach as many women as possible, menopausal midlife women who may be feeling alone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.